0: Who wants to talk sports? We do. Happy New Year, everyone. From our Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center studios in San Diego, we welcome you to a Tuesday bonus podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, the guy that created this situation, John <laughs> Riley. We welcome you to 2024. We welcome you to our bonus podcast brought to you by dixie line lumber and home center stores it's 2024 you got projects you need to go see them to get those projects done dixie line lumber and home center stores john Good afternoon. Have you seen enough football? Are you ready for more football? We welcome you to 2024.
1: I think I've been watching football for five straight days. I mean, it's been great. It's been a great run. And there was an Aztec game somewhere in the middle there.
0: We have a ton of topics on the table. We're going to go a lot of different directions. We're going to ask you to join us right at the end. It's called Fans Forum, John, we want people to join our team. How do they do that?
1: Yeah, so if you want to get involved in fans forum, you got a question or comment for Hacksaw, just type it in the live chat on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. We'll get you involved. And, and be sure to subscribe, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, like, follow, share, and subscribe on all social media. And then, yeah, even Hacksaw's Insiders Group. That's another great thing for you to get involved if you want to get constant updates. We get a lot of daily content out there. Go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Orange Box, sign up for Hacksaw's Insiders Group. And we want you to share and
0: subscribe. Subscribe so you'll get all the alerts. Share with all your friends what we're doing on every social media platform there is. John, ton of topics on the table. Let's talk about the game's New Year's Eve day
1: and night. Yeah, these were both fantastic games. So let's go to the Rose Bowl first.
0: At the end of the day, for 12 hours, we got to enjoy major college football where we could set aside all the other junk the transfer (laughs) portal, NIL, coaches' firings, who's happy, who's not, who's staying, who's going, who wants to be in the NFL. You could not have scripted better football than this. The final four were fabulous. We'll start with the Rose Bowl. 110th Rose Bowl, final Rose Bowl as we've come to know it. We got big boy football. You got Michigan. You got Alabama. You look at the coaches. There's Jim Harbaugh. All the controversy swirling around him since the end of last summer and still going forward. He was acting like a passion play. He was Mm -hmm. up and down the sidelines and he was screaming and pointing and directing his players. Across the other sideline, you looked at the body movement and the facial aspect of Nick Saban. He looked like a man in trouble because his team was in trouble. We had talked last week on the preview of Michigan's defense. Came into the game giving up 239 yards per game. They had six sacks. They had the fumble recovery. They had the fourth down stop. They held Bama to 288 yards. Bama was averaging 401. And... They went 3-for-12 on third downs. Michigan's defense was superb. Michigan's offense, the motion packages they ran, really confused Alabama a great deal. There were blown coverages. They were step slow getting to the angles that they needed to play. And Michigan kept hitting them with big plays coming off motion, whether that's wide receiver motion, tight end motion, running back motion. They just never were able to to handle the Michigan quarterback and everybody coming off the line of scrimmage. And at the end of the day, it was big on big. You know, Blake Corum had runs, he had catches. Roman Wilson had the huge touchdown catch at the end of the game. Jalen Milrow was held to 104 yards passing. Their ability to have the quarterback run the ball was kind of negligible as they went. They had problems with five snaps, the exchange from setter to Milrow in the shotgun. Rolled it back to him over his head, wobbled it, had to go to the ground to pick it up. It really impacted their offense. And Michigan survived special teams' disasters. I mean, they screwed up a punt right at the start of the game and said, uh-oh. And they, they, <laughs> they survived did. missing a field goal. They survived missing a point after touchdown. End of the day, Michigan's defense did which I did not think they could do. They out Alabama At the line of scrimmage. And it was interesting. In the pregame interview on Network TV, Harbaugh made one comment. This will be an upfront game. That is what will decide the game and what happened. The upfront game of Michigan. Offensive front, defensive front, difference in the game. Bama just had no rhythm whatsoever. And Michigan kept making some plays, making some plays, even though Bama played them tough. Michigan wins hell of a game.
1: Yeah, it's a, wasn't it wasn't a great, like, just the whole day. Mm-hmm. And they turn it on TV, and the sky is brilliant blue, and the grass is green. And, I mean, if you are from, like, Wisconsin, you're thinking, this is paradise on earth. That game was was cool because there was all the drama. But, all like you say, the special team screw-ups, the missed field goals, the missed extra points, that fumble by the on the punt right near the end of the game that could have been a safety and alabama could have won i mean so it went in a lot of weird ways but it was interesting with milro after the game you could see he was so frustrated but you think about him and his history you know he was overlooked as a quarterback a lot of times they wanted him to be a receiver and now he's on the big stage and he didn't have his best performance
0: his offensive front didn't have their best performance. I thought the final run play was kind of weird. That's a long three yards to try to run a quarterback draw under that traffic. Yeah. I could see them motion guys get Michigan leaning one way and have Milro go out on the edge and try to score that way. He didn't. He tried to power his way in when it was a stalemate in front of him at the line of scrimmage. But Michigan just, they stayed at it. They had stretches they didn't do well. They had stretches they kept hitting plays. I never got a sense Alabama had any rhythm whatsoever. Uh, At the end of the game, I went back and looked at numbers. And not only were there six quarterback sacks, there were 10 tackles for losses. That's how good Michigan's defensive front was. Michigan, hail to the victors. They're going to the championship game next Monday night. Let's talk. go from Rose Bowl. The Sugar Bowl.
1: The Sugar Bowl. I mean, th- here we got a West Coast team, another close game at the right at the end.
0: I thought this thing matched up guys who were slick versus guys who wanted a slug. And Washington was too slick for the Texas Longhorns. What an amazing set of storylines. First of all, the redemption tour. Here you got Kalen DeBoer, head coach Washington, started his career at Tiny Division II Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Went to all these other stops on the road map to be an offensive coordinator, Southern Illinois, Fresno, other places, got a head job at Fresno State, two years, flipped that, goes to Washington. In two years, he's now 24 and 2, I think it is, wow. with the Huskies. <laughs> and then the redemption tour for Steve Sarkeesian, legendary BYU quarterback, creative mind, good play caller, wanted to be an offensive coach, wanted to be a head coach, got his chance at USC, got derailed because of his personal lifestyle and his alcohol problems It got him fired. Nobody would hire him. There was there was a, a paper trail of problems with Sarkeesian. Nick Saban saved his career. First, Sarkeesian saved his life by going into alcohol rehab to deal with an acute problem. Saban gave him a job as administrative assistant and then breaking down video and then doing X's and O's and then becoming my offensive coordinator in Tuscaloosa. So Saban played a big role. So Kuzian has captured his life, regained everything, and boom, uh, has gone from disgrace to something really special there. In terms of the game, wild plays, wild mistakes, final four minutes, crazy. Michael Penix throwing deep dimes all night long. You know, in the first half alone, and, and this is a shocker to me that Texas did not have an idea how to defend this. In the first half, Penix had passes at 24, 29, 29, 52, and 77. Incredible. Bombs away. Yeah. And he was accurate throwing deep. He threw 255 in the first half, and he wound up with 430. And he kept the bombs going, and they started to break some runs in the second half of that game. I just think that Penix just he broke the will of the Texas defense, which was gassed, chasing him on all these downs and never, hardly ever getting into his face. That was 430 yards passing against a Texas powerhouse football team. And by the way, you didn't vote? Nobody voted for this guy to be the Heisman Trophy winner? Really? Yeah. I did. Yeah, good that call. That was in the minority there. Uh, in terms of Texas, Quinn Ewers made some plays. He just couldn't keep up with what they were doing on the other side of the ball at, at uh, Washington. He threw for 318. A uh, heroic comeback, though, at the end of the game. I mean, he had three scoring drives on, the, on those possessions, and then they died at the 12 yard line with one second to go. But there was just no consistency to anything they were doing. Receivers weren't catching the ball consistently. CJ Baxter did not run the ball consistently. I guess what shocked me the most, you know, Texas during the season played Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU. You had to have all kinds of inside information about formations and how to run because those guys were on the spread. They do what Washington did. And it was like Texas just did not have a clue how to defend everything that Penix had out in in the package. And, you know, they went to a blitz package late in the game. And it finally slowed Washington down, allowed Texas to get back in the game. But why was that not happening through the first three quarters? Especially since you had played teams that ran the same formations and things. So I was kinda surprised that Sarkeesian and his staff kinda got out schemed in this whole thing. But Washington, what an accomplishment. So now you got Washington, Michigan championship game next Monday night.
1: And John Riley says, I say it was a great game. And, and, and I keep wanting to say Michael Vick. It's Michael Penix, uh, just lefty quarterback that's got all the tools. And Penix was tremendous. Like you said, he had those long passes, but some of them were like lasers <laughs> and, you know, in tight windows. And you're like, wow, this guy can throw all the, the passes. The, the head coach, DeBoer, you know, get to know him a little more in this game a very likable guy. Yeah. And then I've always wondered why Michael Penix ended up at Washington when DeBoer apparently was the offensive coordinator in Indiana. When and, Penix was coming in the front door. Exactly. And I had not put those two things together because I remember seeing Penix in Indiana and he was tremendous when he was not hurt. But I always scratched my head how he ended up in Washington. And now I know. Exactly. Uh, great accomplishments. And Pennix had to run a big hill. This has not been easy. He's had three knee
0: surgeries and a rehab extensive. And he was a run-first throw quarterback at Indiana, and he paid a terrible price. He just got battered and got hurt. Now he's mature. He's rehabbed. He's a much different quarterback in the pocket and the ability to move some things. But boy, under pressure, makes plays. They've won so many close
1: games at the University of Washington. Okay, so just a quick tangent here. Who would you take with the number one pick in the NFL draft? Because there's three really good quarterbacks at the top. Uh, we're going to argue about that going forward. We've got plenty <laughs> of time to argue about that going forward. All right. but, uh, and it's tough
0: because Caleb Williams had the great career, but the end of his run at USC was pretty tattered. Pennix has had just a phenomenal thing. And I think Bo Nicks, He's a robo systems quarterback. He's got to be in the right system, but he sure is intellectual enough to be a really good NFL quarterback. And that doesn't include the argument about the kid at LSU, Jaden Daniels, signed, in North Carolina. Yeah, and that's right, Drake, Drake May. May. Yeah. So yeah, we have a that'll be a topic on the table that we will argue about for <laughs> okay. months going towards the draft. So we're ready. A week from now, uh, we got Michigan. We've got. Washington and we'll talk about that on our Thursday podcast. A lot of people talking coming out of these bowl games and not saying a lot of nice things about college football right
1: now. That's your next topic. Yeah well I mean you kind of kicked off the podcast talking about leaving all the controversy aside but there has been a lot of commentary about you know transfer portal and everything else. Okay let's start. Georgia just destroyed Florida State. After
0: Florida State got snubbed 21 of their players elected not to play. In the Orange Bowl game, the end result was 63-3. to three. It was terrible. <laughs> Nobody's talking in Tallahassee right now. However, Kirby Smart, the Georgia coach, did talk. One of the first things out of his mouth, aside from saluting his team, he said the NCAA allowed this to happen to the Orange Bowl. And he says the NCAA caused this. They need to fix this. He's making reference to opt-outs and transfers that littered all the bowl games. Everybody lost players for one reason or another. Is that good for college football? Is that fair to the bowl people and the communities that sponsored the bowl game? So Kirby Smart wants this resolved now. Then there's Clemson. Debo Swinney, not what they used to be, take an enormous amount of heat at Clemson for not being in the transfer portal, taking players, running guys out. He blew up on talk show radio right before Clemson's bowl game. He told a caller, your expectations outweigh our accomplishments. Hmm. Enjoy the program that we have. In essence, (laughs) shut the bleep up. So Debo Swinney doesn't like everybody thinking he should be doing what some other people in college football are doing, running off people and getting new players every year. Then Ole Miss stomped Penn State in its bowl game. And Lane Kiffin, first thing out of his mouth at Ole Miss, what sport allows players to become free agents while their playoffs are going on? Yeah. Do you see anybody leave the World Series and say, I'm not going to play because I'm going to the uh, free agency? See anybody opt out of the Super Bowl so they can be a free agent in February? You see that in the NBA Finals. Guy's not going to play because he didn't want to get hurt and just wants to maintain his market. And so I won't play in the NBA Finals. He said, this whole thing is so out of control, it's bad for the sport. And then it was Southern Cal's Link Riley, who I think did a great job at the Holiday Bowl in a six-week span. Reinvented his offense with a a brand-new quarterback he'd never played, and they put on a show. But he did make reference to the fact there's 19 guys in the transfer portal. He said, I want players who want to be here. Why would you want your leaders to leave their team at the most important time of the season, a bowl game? He says, we'll reload, but I wish players could see their careers to a conclusion where they started. And then, of course, there was what we talked about last week with Chip Kelly. He wants to see all this solved. He proposes a 64-team Super Football Conference conference. All the money goes into a pot. It's all distributed evenly to the 64 super conference teams. Everybody else stays in their conference, basketball, all the other Olympic sports. He wants the same rules for everybody in the transfer portal, limitations, same rules as to how you pay players. So all the money goes into one pie, and it's carved 64 waves in college football. So the coaches, coaches had a lot
1: to say. So John... What what hit your hot button? Well, first of all, kudos to Kirby Smart for having the integrity to go out there and play Georgia Bulldog football and kick some butt, you know, and, and they took it seriously. And, you know, that's a that's really kind of a a knock, a character knock on on Florida coaching and their players. Like, I understand that you want to you know, save your body for the NFL or whatever you're going to do. But you, you don't even see this in the NCAA March Madness, people opting out. I mean, it's nuts. Uh, so it's good to see these coaches kind of standing up and being vocal and talking about what the league, what the, you know, the situation requires. But it, I, going back to Chip Kelly, I, I like the idea that 64 team, you know, breaking down all the conferences but I don't know if they would ever agree to share the money equally. I mean, you know, some of these teams make so much money and some make so much less, even amongst those top 64. It'd be interesting to see who
0: the 64 would be and who would decide who's going to be part of a super conference. You know, is it just going to be Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, representing the Big Ten? They go in the 64? What happens in the ACC? How many go there? Everybody in the SEC says, I deserve to be there. Well, you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this is a complex thing they would have to negotiate as to who are the 64 that are going to be part of the super conference. You know, and then does North Carolina basketball, they're going to stay in the ACC. But if you don't have football as a component of that, is it the same conference emotionally and financially? Mm-hmm. I, tough call. That That's going to be a tough mosaic to pace together to make it work. Um, it is interesting, though, your your statement about, you know, the big-time coaches. They could have just looked across the street at every other team in their conference and say— we're done well. Sucks to be you. Yeah. Kirby Smart did not do that. So, right. NCAA's new leader, Charlie Baker,'s got a massive problem on his hands, building and fixing all that. Okay. So we go from college football. On we go. National Football League. <laughs> one more week to go in the schedule. Wow.
1: What a storyline. Yeah. A lot of big games here, a lot of crazy
0: games. Uh, Baltimore destroys Miami. The Dolphins are 1-4 against good teams. Is that a mirage in the desert that we're seeing with this offense? Did we get sold a bill of bad goods? I mean, they've not been competitive at all. Baltimore put 56 points on them in that game over the weekend. And now now Miami's got problems going to the playoffs as a wild-card team. They have lost Brad Chubb, their big linebacker defensive end, torn knee ligaments. Uh, They've lost Raheem Mostert. Uh, The heavy-duty running back who's done such a great job for them in short yardage situations. Jalen Waddell's got a high ankle sprain. And suddenly, to his team around him is not what to his team had been most of the season. Uh, I don't know they're going to have all their key players back for any form of these playoff games. Meanwhile, across the sidelines, the guys were in purple and black. What a statement game by Lamar Jackson. MVP, period, exclamation point, maybe end of discussion. Defense. MVP football, too.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was an amazing game between those two teams, but it was a lot more lopsided than I expected it to be. So the Ravens are the real deal, man. I mean, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to knock them off. Yeah, could well be. On we go. Second game, Uh,
0: Dallas-Detroit. I hate to say this. It's a tough game to officiate, but for the second time in two weeks— The NFL refs have seemingly botched up calls that impacted the final score of a game Mm -hmm. with teams that needed those victories either to to be home field advantage teams, etc. In a first half in the Kansas City game, now this Detroit Lions situation, did you report, did you not report? I mean, Dak Prescott blazing hot, CeeDee Lamb just cannot be stopped. Lions are screeching that Taylor Lewand, their left tackle, did report tackle eligible. The other backup tackle who came on the field said he talked to the ref, but he did not tell the ref I'm tackle eligible. Jared Goff heard the conversation. NFL has been silent, has not said a word about that conversation. The ref heard one thing, and maybe he misplaced 70 telling me he was tackle eligible rather than 68. Did he tell the defense he gave him the wrong number? that led to the penalty flag. Detroit really took a hit here because this is important for them and home field as to who they're going to play uh as the NFC North champion. So Dallas Dallas is back
1: winning, Detroit really steamed. I mean it, it's like it's tough being a Lions fan, right? They're finally good and then they get screwed. Um yeah, that was awful. And I think what I noticed is is that the ref you know, had number 68 was near him, number 70 was running towards him, but he wanted to quickly get away so he could tell the defense who was eligible. And I think he kind of jumped the gun there. But the fact the NFL is not saying anything that proves that they know they screwed up and they're trying to like get their, you know, their story straight.
0: Kansas City, Cincinnati, the Chiefs are trying to find their momentum. They're trying to fix everything that's wrong. Um, that that's one storyline the other storyline is now we know why Jake Browning's been a backup quarterback his entire life because it's all kind of caught up to him Kansas City still got problems wide receivers dropping passes sloppy route running penalties etc offensive line has not protected Mahomes on a consistent basis the quarterback himself is forcing things along the way and in terms of Cincinnati now they're out of the playoffs that's a tough blow And, you know, Joe Burrows now had three major injuries in a four-year span as a star quarterback. And Jake Browning, who did really well, had the wheels fall off Cinderella's carriage, and he played really poorly under pressure. But it it goes back to my philosophy about head coaches and defensive coordinators. The more video I compile on you, Hmm. I will figure out what you don't do well, John Riley, and I will force you into certain (laughs) things that you don't do well. That's what's happened to Jake Browning. Kansas City... One and done, Kansas City, wild card team, going on the road. Yeah. What do you think?
1: And that just doesn't make any sense compared to what we've seen of the Chiefs. Now, I wasn't watching this game live. I was watching the Charger game. And the announcers kept talking about how the Broncos were still eligible to get into the playoffs. If if Kansas City were to lose and then lose next week and yada, yada. And I thought that was mind-blowing that that could even be a possibility. Um, but, you know, Chiefs fans are frustrated. Chiefs fans have been chiming in social media. You know, they still love their team, but they know they're going through a little bit of a rocky patch. Right? Yeah, that, there's going to be some evaluation about
0: wide receivers in this offseason. They're going to have to fix some things along the way. Uh, next game, Steelers-Seattle. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Pittsburgh is 9-7 and seven and is probably going to be in the playoffs with their third-string quarterback, a plotting offense, and a defense that's had a lot of injuries. Mason Rudolph is now the starting quarterback going towards the playoffs. He'll start again. He's thrown for 2.99 and 2.79 in his two starts and doesn't turn the ball over. And George Pickens, who I think they've wasted most of the year because I didn't think they were running the right routes, and then he got involved with a spit-to with the media and some of his own coaches. And Deontay Johnson, now all of a sudden they're throwing a ball to him downfield. They're making big plays. They hadn't done that for the first 12 to 14 weeks of the season. And, and, and Seattle... Defense has collapsed. Now, they've, they've got a bunch of injuries, nagging injuries, which has hurt them. But this is, this is not Pete Carroll defense at all. So there's injury, and I think there's some attitude problems on that Seattle Seahawks roster. Pittsburgh, in the playoffs, considering who they were, how bad they played, and what they, the way they started the season, that's a surprise.
1: Yeah, well, you know, Mrs. Hacksaw is going to be really happy to see the Steelers in the playoffs. Um, but, you know, it, it's the Steelers are such an interesting franchise because they have all that history, all those rings. And internationally, they're very beloved, mm-hmm. which I, I'm starting to figure that out now. Rooney family. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I was kind of rooting for Pickett to, you know, be something. And I think maybe he's probably gone as far as he can go. Mason Rudolph, nice surprise. Yeah, very much so. Raiders, Colts, at the end of the day, you can have all the emotion
0: you want. It only carries you a certain way down the road. you got to have talent to take you the rest of the way. So the Raiders lose to Indianapolis. Uh, Devontae Adams, who some weeks has been unstoppable, other weeks hardly gets any targets, had 13 catches. To me, too little, too late. I just have never understood watching Raider games, the distribution of the football. You know, why, why have they not targeted Adams 10 to 15 times every game? Why don't they throw to Hunter Renfro more in the slot? It's, there's something just screwy in the play call. And, of course, not having Josh Jacobs at the end of the season uh, because of a quad injury after him being slow out of the gate because he held out well, all the exhibition schedule. And I don't know what to make of Aiden O'Connell. He throws for 299 against Indy the week before. He threw for 62. Didn't complete a pass in the second, third, and fourth quarters. And the Colts, how stunning is this? Gardner the gunslinger, Gardner Minshew. You know, they don't have a starting quarterback. They lost both their running backs for chunks of the season with significant injuries. Top receiver Michael Pittman's been in and out of lineup concussion problems. They got rid of their Pro Bowl linebacker at midseason because he'd never fully come back from injury. And Indianapolis going to the playoffs probably. They're sitting there right now at 9-7 and seven with a gunslinger getting the job done. So you can talk about the Raiders, you can know talk about the Colts.
1: Yeah, it's amazing that the Colts are eligible or in the hunt here because when they lost AR-15, I thought, okay— I wasn't expecting much. And without him, I wasn't expecting anything. But the Raiders, something screwy going on with the offense. I mean, you know, tell me something new. Uh, Just, you you know, you just never can figure those guys out.
0: Now is Antonio Pierce the right guy. He's now four and four. Uh, Okay. And so tough decision for Mark Davis. Final game on the docket. We got the Chargers. We got the Broncos. What an ugly embarrassment that was. (laughs) God, that looked like a third preseason game in August. Who are these guys? Uh, Easton Stick hangs in there without a lot of support. You know, they don't have any of their wide receivers. Austin Eckler has totally disappeared as as a big-time running back. They, the pass protection's been shoddy. I think Kellen Moore has lost his flash as a play caller and offensive coordinator. Uh, Khalil Mack, 100th quarterback sack, but he can't do it by himself. He's really had a marvelous, marvelous season. And they lost to Jared Stidman who? Jared Stidman, (laughs) who had never won a game in the NFL, kind of beat the Chargers. And Denver did this with all the cloud of the Russell Wilson controversy hanging over everybody's shoulders. I'll ask this question. Now that it's all out there on the table for America to see how Denver treated Russell Wilson, now with the, the facts are there and the union confirmed everything, that Denver went to him October 29th And said, if you don't change the injury language in your contract, you will be benched. Well, First of all, you can't do that. You can't intimidate a player to change his contract. That's why the union got involved. And Russell Wilson said, no, I played my whole career. I earned that injury clause. And then they went out and they won five straight games with Wilson. So the Broncos couldn't bench him in the midst of this. Then they hit the skids. And they went one and three. And they sat Wilson down. And then the story leaks out about what happened in October, et cetera. Here's a burning question. How can you respect the Broncos' leadership going forward after they did this to a quality football player? What free agent would want to sign a contract and go play for that organization based on what they tried to do to the superstar quarterback?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a bad look, you know, going for uh, um, you know buyer's remorse after trading away the farm, giving him that huge contract. I mean, it's just awful. But you know the back to the game. Denver ended up winning it at the end, you know, which was just classic Chargers, just a choke job. But boy, boy, that was that was an ugly game. It was fugly, excuse me, just
0: horrible. (laughs) Hey, we get to halftime. Our podcast is brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. You got plans for twenty twenty four? You need these people to guide you, help you, get you the supplies you have. Hey, take a trip. Stop by any Dixie Line Lumber store, take a stroll through, talk to their consultants about what you want to do and how they might help you. Dixie Line Lumber. Homesetter stores. John, nine stores to serve you. Been in business for over 100 years serving San Diego. Yeah. And a reminder before we move to the second half of our bonus podcast on a Tuesday, John, uh, tell people what happens at the end. We're looking for somebody to contribute this show. You think anybody's got any opinions about the topics on the table? Tell them about fans
1: form. Fans form. We got some guys in here. I see SoCal dude for our XLA, Kevin. Padre, Bod, Jeff, Erock, Emmanuel, George, Fig. I mean, everyone's lining up, you know, to have a question or comment for Hacksaw. You can get involved. Type in your comment in the live chat on Facebook, YouTube or Twitter. And at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines, we'll have fans Forum. In
0: 2024, something has arrived. We're going to be talking about a lot of unique and different things as part of our, our weekly podcast. We want you to be part of Hacksaw's Insiders Group. Want you to register. It's really easy to do. John,
1: you created this, so explain it. <laughs> yeah, so just go to com and in the upper right corner, there's an orange box, like just like your Oilers shirt. <laughs> and uh, go there, fill in your name and email, get you on the email list. We're building a big group here, and it's building nicely. So uh, j- jump on board, and we've got, you know... Best 15 minutes, one man's opinion. They're coming out by email. But we're going to be opening up a lot of really creative and interesting things for the new year.
0: And if you like sports, I know you like sports. Check my website. That's the address right at the top, leehacksawhamilton.com. It's all written. You won't get this volume of information anywhere else I write on it day in, day out. Let's go to the second half. We're going from football. We're talking baseball.
1: Lots of uh, movement here with some of these free agents. Well, the big question, John, good headline.
0: Who's left? What happens next? Uh, Names in the news in baseball. I am a bit surprised Blake Snell is still out there. But I guess the, the surprising facet is what he's asking for. I'm not sure Blake Snell is going to get a seven-year contract. I don't think he's going to get $25 million a year on a seven-year deal, despite the Cy Young awards that he's garnered in Tampa and in San Diego. Why? He's a hot and cold five- and six-inning pitcher max. And outside of the two Cy Young seasons, the rest of the time, he's just a guy in the middle of your rotation. You never know what you're going to get. I don't think Scott Boris has been able to find anybody that's going to meet that price tag. People need pitching? Hell yes. Angels, San Francisco Giants, possibly New York Mets, but now there's a report out of New York that the owner, Steve Cohen, is going to step back for a year, get below the luxury tax threshold, re-gear to go next year. So I'm not sure where Blake Snell's going to wind up. Good team, bad team, but at that price... I don't think anybody's going to give him seven years, 25 mil. Jared Montgomery, you know, he reinvented himself as a pitcher. There's a rumbling out there that he's going to wind up going back to Texas, and why not? Now, the Rangers haven't been real active in free agency this offseason. The prior two seasons, that's how they built their World Series team, spent over $500 million. So that's the question is, is where else is Montgomery going to go? I've not heard Angels. I've not heard Giants. I did hear Mets. I heard Red Sox, but the Red Sox starting to spend their money other places. Maybe he winds up back in Texas. The Josh Hader situation, uh, are you going to pay $20 million to $25 million for a closer? That closer. The closer who said, I only pitch one inning per outing. The closer who said, I'm not pitching back-to-back days and the closer who then intimated at the end of the season with his team scuffling why he didn't go back-to-back. Back. Are we in the pennant race? <laughs> so I, mean, I don't know if mouth has damaged his ability to locate his arm somewhere else. Now, during this Christmas week, this was a bit of a surprise, but Boston making changes got rid of Chris Sale. Now, that's a really fine pitcher, but he's been beset by three different injuries, shoulder, elbow, etc., Boston traded Chris Sale and $17 million to Atlanta for hot young shortstop Vaughn Grissom. So that kind of creates a hole in the Red Sox rotation. But they filled it when they went out and got Lucas Giolito, uh, the ex-Washington National, the ex-Chicago White Sox who bounced around. But boy, his ERA last season was 7.29. That was not very good. But Giolito, I think, is more reliable from a health standpoint than Chris Sale is on the roster. And then maybe the surprise is Cincinnati raided the Yankees and took Frankie Montes. And he, of course, is coming off shoulder surgery. One year, $18 has never quite lived up to the expectations. When he first came up with the Oakland Athletics, everybody thought, this guy's going to be a dominant, dominant pitcher, has not really worked out with the health issues. But he goes to Cincinnati, and that's $18 million. That's a lot of money to pay for a back-of-the-rotation guy, unless they think he'll position himself to become a front-of-the-rotation guy. So those are guys who are still available. Cody Bellinger is still available. Uh, he's getting some play in Toronto. Cubs could still go back in, but at what price? 200000000 million. He's got the same set of circumstances that Blake Snell has had. You know, one really good season at Wrigley Field. Prior to that, three substandard seasons, Dodger Stadium, a couple of flash years in L.A. So I don't know where Bellinger is going to go. So we, we do still have some significant guys out on the free agent market, but there's an asterisk next to a bunch of those guys.
1: Well, do you think Blake Snell maybe has figured it out finally? Because he was, you know, before always in his head. Didn't want to walk guys. And he would, you know, get down on himself when he wasn't throwing strikes. Now, him and Gary Sanchez worked a deal where they're just throwing the breaking ball. And if he walks five guys in a game, he doesn't sweat it, you know, because he knows he can come back and get those guys, um, even if there's a few runners on base. It's a dangerous way to play, but maybe he found out the formula that works. So now, granted, if I'm, if I'm another team, yes, signing him is a big roll of the dice, but whoever gets him, they're going to be in a good spot. I think
0: he's adjusted his psyche to be a pitcher. Yes. Uh, and the fact that he stayed healthy post elbow surgery in Tampa, that's a positive. The, the fact he wants the ball, he makes thirty starts per year, that's a positive. But the negatives, he throws a lot of pitches. There's always guys on base, and seven years, twenty five mil per season. I just don't think I can see anybody spending that money on him. Okay, we go from one pitcher and pitchers looking
1: for a job, to another pitcher who's always got something to say. (laughs) He's got a lot to say. His Twitter feed is fantastic.
0: Trevor Bauer wants to come pitch in Major League Baseball. His lawyers, his agents have met with, I've been told, four to five clubs. I don't see there's an offer there yet. Um, Bauer sounded off with kind of a mystery tweet. He he runs videos on his Twitter account of him working out with different players in California, etc., he tweeted, this is really weird, but here, take my pen and connect the dots, John. Uh, he tweeted, there's a text about a job offer. And I asked the question, who's he referencing? Then there's a text about the guy who made the offer had worked with him before. Oh, yes, yeah. heading up the interview. And then he texted, I found out the employer called to ask about a pitcher that I was working with in the off season. And then he found out, that employer who advertised a job opening had a point man who I had talked to, has taken the information I gave him and used it on the other employee that they were scouting. In essence, Trevor Bauer's working with pitchers, evidently, some conversation between he and somebody within the Dodgers organization. And they took that info and talked to him, but didn't sign him. And they're talking to the guy he was working with. <laughs> Uh, so I guess the question is, obviously, he didn't put at the top of the memo to Andrew Friedman about Otani or Yamamoto or Glassnow. Trevor, uh, Trevor can't find a job at this point, but he's kind of insinuating, look how I've been being treated by those guys who had this opening to talk to me and asked me questions about guys I was working with and assigned the other guy.
1: Yeah. Well, you figure everyone's talking to everyone, right? What we see in the media is different than what actually happens, you know, in the workout facilities and the training that they're doing in the offseason. But, you know, when you tweet stuff like that, that doesn't make a owner want to sign Trevor Bauer to a contract and have this guy be the the ace of your pitching staff when he is so unpredictable. Off the rails. Exactly. (laughs) And so, you know, you're going to start alienating fans. You're going to start having people protesting at your stadium. I mean, so, you know, Bauer d- didn't get busted by the cops, but, you know, he's lives on the edge in some parts of his life. You think that he would just be a little more humble, kind of get his house in order and just, uh, you know, find a way to quietly get a good deal in America.
0: Yeah. I mean, there are people out there who desperately need pitching. I mean, the Angels are one. Obviously, the Athletics need players, any players and the Giants. But are you going to dabble with Trevor Bauer? With with the risk that he's going to go off the tracks on you again. So that story bears watching. Hey, that was a neat basketball game to watch in Spokane, Washington, was it not on Friday? It was
1: awesome. I mean, what a great game that was. San Diego State had the lead, trailed, got the lead back,
0: wore down, and beat Gonzaga. Gonzaga at home. At one point, Gonzaga had 76 home court wins in a row, got beat by Loyola Marymount, and then started winning again. But it's no doubt that the Zags are just not the same program it had been last couple of years under Mark Few. But boy, the guards at San Diego State saved their day. Reese Waters, Darian Trammell combined for 39. Yeah. Jadon Ladee was walled off defensively. At one point, he had one basket in 19 minutes. He was one for six from the floor. He struggled. He finished with 20. Never seen a game that had the kind of spurts that we had. San Diego State had runs of 10-2, 11-3 in the first half, 18-3 in the second half. Don't understand Mark Few. Got back in the game with half-court traps. Took the offense completely Mm -hmm. out and then lifted the press. And then San Diego State started hitting free throws and won the game, put the game away. Aztecs had a 15-point lead that went down to one because of what Gonzaga did defensively. And then Mark Few called off the dogs. Explain that one to me. (laughs) Um, How can you beat the Zags, who have now lost four and still be behind them in the poll? Yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, Gonzaga dropped, based on its reputation, dropped all the way to the 24th. San Diego State, which has got a much better record than the Zags, since played a pretty tough schedule. They're only twenty-sixth in the poll, behind the Zags. But that being said, San Diego State has really grown. Different guys are contributing, which was critically important. Bring on the Mountain West Conference. But that was a dazzling game of you're talking about emotional pendulum swinging back and forth. Oh forward. yeah
1: what a great game it was and and to see like miles bird you know with the euro step you know back uh, the backhand did a lot of uh, great plays off the bench I think some of the kids have grown up here in the last 10 games. They have. You know, even Miles Heidi is showing something. Jay Powell is showing something. And then right now you got Darian Trammell coming off the bench. You know, he's really kind of a starter, but that makes your bench scoring look pretty darn good. But, you know, you got to give credit to the Aztecs. They've won there two out of the last three times, I think, where no one wins in that that arena. Um, And Brian Dutcher, man, he's just got a way to figure it out. And I love hearing Dutcher say how as the season progresses, we keep getting better. And that is just such a true statement. Yeah,
0: uh, Fresno State first conference game, uh, and then obviously they get New Mexico. And you look at you look at the Mountain West Conference standings, John. A lot of people playing really good basketball. The non-conference part of the schedule be fascinating to see how these top five filter out when they start playing each other. But what a huge win! Uh, signature victory, I think, for big San time. Diego State. Big time. Okay, we go from that. Let's uh, go to NBA basketball.
1: Yeah, so here's a big trade. Knicks, Raptors, and maybe it might impact our guy, Malachi Flynn. Well, it did. Uh, New York Knicks just
0: don't seem happy with the mix on their roster under Coach Tom Thibodeau. And these are all guys that they handpicked. So they they just started shedding bodies. And they pull off the six-player deal with the Toronto Raptors. Toronto deals defensive specialist OG Onunubi, plus Malachi Flynn, plus young forward Precious Achua, they all go to the New York Knicks. Onunubi's a really fine defensive guard, Hmm. big, tall, long, etc. He was averaging 15 points a game. Flynn is averaging only five coming off the bench. I don't know if he's hit a wall in terms of his development. Achua is is a big forward who can score. Uh, The Knickerbockers give up. High-scoring guard uh, R.J. Barrett used to be at Ohio State, and Emmanuel Quilly. Quilly can score, Barrett can score. Raptors seem to have some type of team chemistry problem now, so they're rearranging the chairs on the Titanic deck. So New York gets defense, Raptors get firepower, first big trade of this season. We'll see if there's more deals coming.
1: Yeah, as an Aztec fan, I'm overjoyed that now Malachi Flynn can maybe get out of the, the doghouse near the end of the bench and be a contributor. Um, and if they're trading for defense, his defense is still spectacular, even though his offense can kind of come and go. But man, imagine being a Knicks fan for the last like thirty years. Yeah, I mean, there's just been nothing there since the Pat Riley era. You got a crackpot owner,
0: James Dolan, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I don't understand Thibodeau because he had a nice reputation in Chicago as a defensive specialist. Well, he's run through a lot of players at Madison Square Garden, and nothing seems to fit. They keep bringing in guys. Whether you know the Julius Randle's a star in the league, but you never know from one night to the next. Whether the ex lakers is going to score thirty-nine or score thirteen is there's no consistency to his game. And and Thibodeau, they just keep changing players and parts and trying to find the right guys to fit his system. So that's odd. So that's basketball. One final note: kind of a sad weekend in auto racing. Yeah,
1: Lee, you cover it all, man. This is NASCAR,
0: Indy, a lot here. Terrible story. The guy on the left, one of the boys from Brazil, Gilles De Ferran, a Formula, Formula One star. Won the Indy 500, three-time points champion, passed away while sitting on a pit wall in Florida watching his son test in one of the Indy car minor systems, learning how to drive. He was 53, had a heart attack, died. Really, And he was one of the boys from Brazil that came from F1, Emerson Fittipaldi, Elio Castroneves, um, um Roberto Guerrero, they were all the boys from Brazil. Really fine gentlemen. I interviewed him a couple times, just stoic, smart, had a really nice career jumping from there uh, to IndyCar. The other one is one of the real good old boys. We're talking about NASCAR back in the day. We're talking about Cale Yarborough. He was a superstar in the 50s and 60s before the arrival of Richard Petty. And he's from South Carolina. He was, you know backwoods guy became a star driver then became an owner he made nascar an event on tv i'm trying to remember the year this happened i've seen the video clips it's hilarious it was in the middle of winter at daytona it was the first national telecast of a nascar race first time ever raging blizzards around the country so everybody stuck at home so he's racing to win at Daytona against Donnie Allison, and they're swapping paint, and they crash on the final lap, and both <laughs> skid into the infield, and they get out of their cars and start throwing punches at each other right there on network TV. <laughs> and then Davey Allison, Donnie's brother from the Alabama gang, he stops his car, and he comes Jumps third man in to the fight. That's the most hilarious thing you ever see. But that's what NASCAR was, quote, back in the day. Uh, but he won four Daytona 500s. He won five Southern 500s at his home track, Darlington, which was a legendary small track. And then he woke, woke up one morning and said, I've accomplished it. He walked away, went on TV, became a TV analyst, and then he became a car owner and was very successful. He was a good old boy. So, if you follow auto racing, we mourn a nice guy, DeFerrin, and we mourn the good old boy, Kale Yarbrough.
1: Was did Kale Yarbrough race in Indy, or was he exclusively no, NASCAR? He was strictly good old boy. Okay, and and did he have a brother, or am I getting that confused with no, like the answers? There, I, uh,
0: well, the the answers were obviously there's three answers. The yeah. Andretti's; those are all the, quote first families of of racing. But uh, no, I don't think. Kale had a brother. It was another Yarborough, but I think it came from a different family.
1: Okay, fair enough. But uh, yeah, these are legends. Oh, I, mean, I mean, especially Yarborough. I remember as a kid, you know, his name being frequently discussed in the 1970s.
0: You have a lot of spare time on your hands. So why don't you just YouTube Google Kale Yarborough Daytona 500 Fight. You won't
1: believe it. Okay, I'm looking forward to that one.
0: Okay, so okay. we've completed everything on our Tuesday bonus podcast brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. John's got friends who have been waiting. I don't know if this is going to be a Christmas gift exchange segment of the show, but
1: we call it Fans form. John, where do you want to start? Okay, let's go here to Emmanuel. He says, any player who opts out of a bowl um, or enters a transfer portal before bowl season will need to sit out their next conference game. It has to be a conference game or else more and more schools will schedule cupcake games. Well, you're retaliating on the player. You know, coaches have
0: a right to leave, and they do leave, or they get fired. Players kind of got victimized a little bit by that. What, what what the NCAA needs to do, and I think they will do this under Charlie Baker once they get all this put in place with Congress, they're going to squeeze the transfer portal. You can't leave your program till January 8th mm-hmm. after the bowl games yeah. are over. Now, guys who want to go to the NFL, trying to protect themselves from injury, but... It's it's tough, but when you see the massive players that leave, you know, 18 at 19 at USC, 21 at Florida State, you see the quarterbacks that are leaving. It just ruins what the Bulls are supposed to represent, a reward. How can you and I be in the trenches for a 12-game season and elevate our program and have a good season, good team, get to a bowl game, and then I bail out on you because yeah. I might go into the transfer. It's not right. So I, I think the first thing you'll see – They'll compress when you can do it. Now, they got to convince the players not to bail out on these games, et cetera. Coaches have to convince the players. But it's a good point. But this will be hard to put in place. It's
1: going to take some time. Do you think Congress would want to micromanage like this aspect of it, of penalizing players that go into the portal? Because you, you, I don't know if I want to get Congress involved in this. They'll just turn it into a cluster. Uh, the government, right? Yeah. Uh, How's the post office worked out?
0: Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. No, well, Congress is, I'm led to believe, Congress is going to give the NCAA antitrust exemption. Mm. <coughs> and will allow the NCAA to put in place the things that are going to fix this okay, sport. So, okay, now that, but, but that's not going to happen a week from Tuesday. Correct.
1: Yet. Okay, next question. Okay, here's a good one here. This is from Iraq. He says, how are you still alive after getting bodied by Woods this morning? Uh, it doesn't matter what they
0: say. I don't care what they say. They did what they did to a friend of mine. And if I don't stand up for a friend of mine, John Cantara, then what kind of friend am, am I? Um, they can parlay it any way they want. They have every right to make the change. I thought that it was handled really poorly. I thought it was really unfair. It'll be interesting to see now that they got soccer announcer and Padre cheerleader on to replace Coach Cantara, what their show is going to be. Hey, you like my podcast? That's why you're watching. You like them. That's cool. I don't really care what anybody says, but I reserve the right to tell you what I think on anybody and everybody.
1: Yeah, one man's opinion, right? Of sports. Exactly. Uh, but I, for me, as a listener and follower of sports media here in San Diego, it's been an entertaining week of the little jibs and jabs on Twitter. But uh, yeah, I know Woods and you know came out firing at six a.m. this morning. I caught a little bit of it in the YouTube uh, video. So yeah, it's something out there. Only thing I
0: take exception to is Adam Klug, the program director who did all this, called me a racist. He has no right to do that. Shame on Adam Klug.
1: We move on. We move on. Let's go to 4RXLA. He says, look for Gruden to return to the Raiders as head coach. Davis has him under contract for several more years. Gruden would have to drop the lawsuit against Roger Goodell to
0: return to coaching. I I think in the bigger picture, you are correct. Number four, you are correct. The Raiders are still paying him money. Uh, The big question is, his track record, is it legitimate? You know, he won with Tony Dungy's players in Tampa Bay. And then he got to Oakland. Did that really work out either of the times he was there? That's a big question. Look at the Raider roster. Those were all his draft picks that were there and then gone. That's a big issue, too. So... uh, I just don't know that anybody's going to touch him. And I said way back, you know, once upon a time, everybody thought this guy was really special. He wrote all those emails and all those emails got leaked. And I don't know who who is the, the perpetrator of all that. But he wrote a lot of bad stuff in emails. And he wrote it because it's in his heart you want a kind of guy like that? He always coached on the edge. He always pushed buttons to get his players motivated, created issues. Do you want to be involved with a guy like that? Only time will tell. We'll see if Mark Davis makes the change. And if the change and it has been reported, Gruden's out there in the galaxy. Maybe Davis would go back, but what are you going back to? What was a track record in Oakland?
1: Yeah, big question. Yeah, you can't go back to Gruden if you're the Raiders. And then I don't even know if Gruden would want to go back to the Raiders after everything that went down. If you know, I'm I'm, a, I'm I consider the Raiders my third favorite team when I was growing up. Right, and. I think what Antonio Pierce is doing is, is in a, a huge improvement over what they've had previously. So why don't you just stick with him and then just try to get some players? Don't worry about the coach for now.
0: They, they need a structure because their general managers have done such a poor job, and, and Gruden had a lot of influence in that. I swear to you, you go back and look. They had three drafts in a row, and Gruden's fingerprints are all over those drafts. They had three drafts in a row in which their top three picks each year gone that's nine quality players supposed to be (laughs) the focus and then you keep making mistakes about quarterbacks and you know raiders historically have always
1: gone for the shiny object out there Mm -hmm. track record not good and not in the playoffs again yeah not working out there let's go down here to kevin a little steelers comment he says mvp of the steelers offense is pickens with tj watt as defensive mvp well pickens has done okay the last three weeks didn't
0: do anything before that, and then there was attitude issues. But see, I, I, well, I never understood it. I sat there and I watched all these Steelers games. My wife, West Virginia, is yelling at the freaking Steelers on TV <laughs> so loud she scared the dog. I don't understand why you're not targeting Pickens' athletic ability. And all they, all they were doing early on with Matt Canada, the coordinator, was throwing deep down the sidelines. Well, the sidelines, the boundary marker, is like a defender. And they keep overthrowing them out of bounds. Why are you not running slants? Why are you not running double moves with this guy? So now they have the new offensive coordinator in the last three weeks. Wow. Uh, you know. And, and the same with Deontay Johnson, who a couple of years ago was pretty good and hadn't done very much, got hurt, and then came back. And there's some attitude issues there. You know, When, when your, your top pass catcher is a tight end from the University of Maine, Pittsburgh, what are you doing? But uh, Tomlin has never had a losing season. Kudos. Tomlins only won three playoff games in thirteen years. Mm. That's not very good. So there's a lot of things have to be evaluated in Pittsburgh. Mason Rudolph, good back-to-back games. You know, he played at Oklahoma State. He was a really fine college quarterback, but there is a jump from doing it there to doing it here. And I don't know that he's shown consistency to make that jump. And now I don't know where Kenny Pickett falls into this equation because they elected not to play him this coming weekend. In a must-win game, they're staying with, with uh, Mason Rudolph. So fascinating to see. But there's sure a lot of skill there at the wide
1: receivers. I just don't think, from the playbook standpoint, they used it correctly. Are, are the Steeler fans sticking with their team? They're loyal, right? Like Raider fans, right? Or well, are they disgruntled about what's going on?
0: Both. The media is starting to bang on Tomlin pretty good in Pittsburgh. Mm. And the columnists on the newspapers there have been, you know, oh, this is great. Never had a losing season, but geez, only won three playoff games and never gotten anything accomplished in 13 years. So his job is safe because Rooney family doesn't hit panic buttons. But, you know, somebody got to turn the corner with player personnel and say, okay, we're going to run state of the art offenses and and do things defensively. And they haven't really done it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, let's keep moving on here. Let's go to Al and talk about Trevor Bauer. He says, Bauer went to UCLA. He's a nut job (laughs) with a golden arm. Totally loco. So... Al, here is the question:
0: You are running the Angels. You are running the Giants. Geez, if you are running the A's, you haven't done a good job. Would you go after Bauer, and at what price? You know, as much as I dislike the personal choices he made off the off the field with women, guy can still pitch, and there is a lot of other bad characters on major league rosters. So you bring him in on a one-year deal, a make-good deal, and pack it with incentives. And if the, if the dude wins your 15 games, he gets his money. If the guy stays out of trouble, so much the better. If the guy goes off on the track again, he'll be unemployed a year from tonight, too. So I'm surprised he's not gotten an offer, but maybe his asking price is pretty high.
1: Maybe clubs say, too toxic a talent for me. Let's just say that A.J. Preller could sign him for one year for $20 million. Would you do it if you were A.J. Preller? He can't. Do you know the Padres? Padres right now
0: are ranked almost at the dead bottom in money committed to new players for next season. They have one signing, the Japanese reliever. Mm-hmm. They have no money available. Not not $20 wow. million for Trevor Bauer. Mm-hmm. If I'm the Padres and if Preller had the okay to go ahead and take this guy on... I'd offer him one year eight million and I'd give him seven million in incentives. And if you have a good season, you reinvent yourself, you're making fifteen million here, and then you go on the open market and see if there's a better deal out there. But I would never give him twenty million at this point in time. Well the Padres couldn't even afford the eight plus seven either, could well, they? They could afford eight. The seven doesn't get tacked on till the end of the season if he reaches his incentives. Okay. I think there's a way to creatively finance it. But you know the Angels have now signed eleven marginal major leaguers, not one of them's a difference maker. You know the Luis Garcias of the world, and they need pitching. Why not him? They've hardly spent any money. Angels have spent six point eight million on the bodies they brought in. Six point eight million. When <laughs> Otani's gone, million thirty millions off the books. You got money? Why not Bauer? Unless Artie Moreno says. I'm not touching that.
1: Who do you like better, Snell or Bauer? Who, who's the guy you want on your staff? Oh,
0: I like Snell a great deal, but not at seven years, $25 million per. Right. I'd give Snell three years. Maybe I'd give him 20, 22, and 25.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But Potters can't afford that. No, no way. It's a big issue.
1: <laughs> okay, let's move on here. Let's go to Anvil. Um, and he says the government should never be involved in college football. Well, if they
0: give him the antitrust exemption... NCAA in Indianapolis would run everything, okay? But the government would give him antitrust, which then gives the NCAA the power to reshape everything about football, whether it's conference alignment or whether it's TV contracts or whether it's the NIL or revision of the transfer portal. It's not like the post office executive director is going to run the NCAA. That's not going to happen. (laughs) But you're giving him the antitrust exemption.
1: Well, yeah, well, the antitrust exemption means you're being given a government sanctioned monopoly, which that's a, you know, that'd, that'd be a tricky thing, especially for these politicians to agree. But they got baseball's got it. Well, NFL's got but, it. But yeah, I mean, but it just seems almost anti-American compared to the rhetoric you hear from politicians. But even like when they brought in, you know, Sammy Sosa and Rafael Palmeiro and Mark McGuire in front of Congress, didn't that just seem like a dog and pony show?
0: It was, and everybody kind of fibbed and lied and didn't actually tell the truth, with the exception of Mark McGuire. You know, Sammy Sosa. No, pala Anglais. Oh, come on. <laughs> I heard you do an interview on WGN in Chicago at the height of Home Run Derby. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it kind of was a dog and pony show.
1: OK, let's go to some of these social media comments. There's some good ones in here. Uh, here's a Charger fan talking about the old uh, the old ownership. He says so this is from uh, Global Style. He says, I miss Gene Klein, a mensch of an owner in the spirit of Peter Seidler. Well, Klein invested
0: a lot, paid a lot. It ended kind of badly. Then when they never got to the Super Bowl and they they had a lot of contract problems. I mean, there was an NFL agent by the name of Howard Slusher who was a terrorist. and He represented His whole methodology was, I represent your quarterback. You're not going to pay for your quarterback. He's not coming to play for you this year. And it happened everywhere. Dan Fouts was involved Mm -hmm. in a Howard Slusher holdout. Uh, I think it kind of soured Gene Klein on what the game was evolving into. But he was, from everybody that I canvassed, and that was before I, I got here to become the popular voice of the Chargers, he was a guy that really spent well took care of his players, loved the game. He was also really involved in horse racing, very successful Kentucky Derby and all that. But uh, I think he kind of got soured at the end when the agents kind of took over control of the game.
1: Well, I'll tell you why that— Chargers ownership now is a cluster. It's just a, a mess. Uh, so, yeah, thinking about Gene Klein, probably, relatively speaking, a huge improvement. That's for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. And there's
0: nothing wrong with nepotism if you're on the receiving end <laughs> of the gift, according to the Spanosis.
1: Thanks for the job, Dad. Um, all right, here, right, uh, let's go over here to the Chiefs fan here, MSD Chiefs. It says, good question and not really an opinion kelsey should grow up some mahomes is still going to be great as soon as he gets out of the pocket reed is nothing but class and hall of fame caliber coach chiefs have won more road games than at arrowhead
0: it's been a good operation good organization and i think brett Veach is a guy that people don't know general manager has been exceptional at player acquisitions but they've gone through a bit of a different spell now the Tyreek Hill was traded because of salary cap implications. You know, they had to take care of Mahomes. They wanted to take care of Kelsey. They did take care of Chris Jones. Somebody had to leave, so Tyreek Hill left. Well, in the last 18 months, hasn't been the same wide receiver core. And then you're bringing young guys in, young guys who aren't playing well. Uh, to me, they look sloppy. I don't think they practice with, with the intensity that they did. I, I think they miss Eric Bieniemy, who was really tough on those guys, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in practice in terms of teaching. Uh, I like Kelsey. He's become a personality. He's on all the commercials in the world. Yeah. And, and I, I don't get bothered by the whole relationship with Taylor Swift. Half the world's gone off the deep end. No, she's got my TV way too much. <laughs> who cares? But the problem is it's a player personnel problem. It's been a bit of a letdown. So there may be some changes in the wide receiver core. And on the, I'll never understand some guys who left uh, you know, Juju Schuster-Smith, who came from Pittsburgh, the ex-USC receiver, had a great last season in Kansas City, left as a free agent, went to New England, got buried on the depth chart with a quarterback that was throwing bounce passes to him. Has had a miserable season, and now he's done. He's hurt, and he's he's gone for the rest of the Why would you leave a chance to continue to be with Mahomes and, and get some form of payday and go to a Super Bowl to go somewhere else really strange, and that, that happened multiple, multiple times in Kansas City. So a uh, well-run organization. I think this is just a blip on the radar screen. They're going to have to reevaluate why this has happened.
1: How can Travis Kelsey be a franchise player when all you want to talk about is practice, not the game? <laughs> talk about practice. Uh, you know, you've got to believe there's going to be a certain amount of mental distortion and noise in Kelsey's head, knowing that everyone watches him, knowing that any time he catches a ball, it goes to Taylor Swift, that has to be subliminally in the back of his mind. So, you know, he's dropped a few passes as well. So, you know, this just goes to show you that it's so hard to stay at the top for a long period of time. No, it's not. Not according to me.
0: (laughs) I, I concur with you. He's not had the same year. He's a little bit dinged up. There's a lot of miles on those tires now. And he's, actually, he's kind of dropped hints about maybe retiring just because of the injuries and the pain factor. But uh, he's, a, he's a really
1: good player. But he he's put some on the floor. Not
0: as many as the receivers have. Yeah.
1: Well, let's go here to another social media comment. This is from Stephen Clark. You know, again, talking about the coach situation at 97.3. Steven says, quote, modernizing the lineup. Let's be honest. Craig Elston is an extreme left winger and has inserted his views many times while on the air, supposedly doing sports. Secondly, he's an oddball and brags on the air while supposedly doing sports about his weirdo lifestyle. This is why Ben and Woods want him there. They are the same as him and can't relate to normal people like John and Lee. That's one man's opinion. How about yours? <laughs> Hey, it's their station.
0: They can put out whatever they want. They can run it into the ground. They got a bigger problem. Odyssey, the owner, their shares are selling for 22 cents. They've been delisted on the stock exchange. They are borderline bankrupt. They might be going down. Um, Coach was my longtime friend. He had shtick. I had shtick. We were really successful. We all got taken out in one form or fashion. I just feel bad for him the way it was done, because when it came to sports, I would punch him up just to see what his take on certain things were. And he and I communicated a whole bunch off the air. Um, I didn't do anything wrong. I reported what had happened, and I got it confirmed what had happened. And then I reported uh, insinuations made by people from within about what other people's role may have played. So you can run and cover up and hide and say bad things about me. I don't really care. End of the day, I thought you treated a really good, loyal soldier really bad. And like I said last week, he's a friend of mine. If you don't stand up for a friend, what kind of friend are you? That's what I feel.
1: Yeah, the, the whole thing is just interesting. I mean, obviously there's, you know, a, a, a challenge there with Coach and the Adam 973, but set that aside. As fans of sports media, uh, sports talk radio, we all develop relationships with these hosts and whether we're hanging with them like you and I are hanging now or whether just listening on the radio while you're at work, they become kind of your friends, your boys, you know, and there's certain guys you like more than (laughs) others. And and I think that's why the fans are all coming out and with with their takes on this whole thing. But in the end, we're all sports loving people here in San Diego, Southern California, and you know. It just it's we're all part of the same team, yet we love to bicker amongst ourselves.
0: Hey, at the end of the day, if you like what I do, that's great, because I think what I do is really good and really different. If you like somebody else's substance, a.k.a. shtick, that's okay too. But don't sit there and call me a racist (laughs) and don't sit there and say I don't have a right to have an opinion as to what they've done after After you pour your life into this format like I did into this community and to have it end the way it did for me what the way it did for the
1: coach, that's really sad, I think it is. Yeah, well, it's it's, a, it's a, just a tough business. Let's keep going though. We got one more here from uh, from a USC fan talking about uh, Miller Moss or Moss Miller. where is it Miller Moss? I get those confused. Miller Moss. He says Miller transferred to Matter Day for his senior year. He went there to replace Bryce Young. Season was moved to the spring due to COVID. Just another validation of Miller time. He's a pretty good player. Now you know he's he, he's a student of the game. Um,
0: I was awed at his ability to throw bombs deep and be accurate the way he did. Uh, deserves the chance to be the guy at USC with the, I think he's got two more years of eligibility left. So, and it, it's weird, you know, if Caleb Williams had gotten hurt early in the season, having to run for his life all the time, maybe Miller time would have been a starter at USC. Maybe it would have been a little bit of a, a different season, but uh Lincoln Riley goes, gets players. He knows players. He knows offense. So it'd be fascinating to see as they come out of this, go to spring football, where Miller time fits in terms of quarterback and what the next quarterback coming in the front door is going to be. Remember, they lost the quarterback of the future, Malachi Nelson, who just opted out a week ago. Mm. And he went into the transfer portal. And that was supposed to be the heir apparent to Caleb Williams. So we'll keep an eye on that. But. Lincoln Riley is a bright light, and he knows how to use the transfer portal successfully. And I'll be fascinated to see how many more quarterbacks
1: show up at Heritage Hall. Has there ever been a case like this where a player that hadn't played all year comes off the bench and throws six touchdown passes and a million yards? I mean, I've never even heard of that in the NFL, except maybe Frank Reich when he was with the Bills. Yeah, Uh, not, not modern day football that I know of. I mean, Moss set bowl
0: records. Set the USC record, you know, first time in, six TDs one game. There have been a lot of really fine quarterbacks at Southern Cal. None of the ones I know, from Pat Hayden to my friend Paul McDonald, none of those guys ever did that. So that was pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, it was unbelievable. Hey, we've got a Padre question here, Um, and this is from CJV. He says, no one thought Lugo or Waka had much left last year, but they were steady. AJ will find some arms.
0: I think so, uh, and John and I have preached patience in terms of what Preller's trying to do, but there are limitations now because they they have imposed the fact this payroll is now go, we're told is going to go sub 200 million, and the fact is all that money is already committed. Most of that money is committed. I don't think AJ's got a lot of money left, and there's an awful lot of pitchers that have come off the board. I still think there's something going on in Japan. I mean, there are two more pitchers that are out there in Japan. I know those guys scouted them, and they went there. Uh, I still think that maybe there's another Japanese pitcher coming here. But in terms of what's left here, you know, can you trade for somebody? Well, you trade for somebody, then somebody's going to want one of your top players in double-A. don't think I would do that. Um, maybe their inside information is that these other pitchers who came in the Yankee-Soto deal— uh, are, are going to be difference makers and will push themselves into the rotation. I still think there's another transaction coming. I hope it's not a trade. I hope Maybe it's Cronenworth for an arm. Or I hope it's not a top double-A guy going somewhere for somebody else's pitcher. But at this point, there's so many pitchers that have kind of come off the board. The only guys left for the most part, aside from the superstar like Sneller Montgomery, the only ones that are left, the guys that are coming off all types of physical wear and tear woes. Yeah. You can get them for fifty cents, but what are you getting? Can they hold up? So, he's not done yet. We, you know, he's got another. I'd say another month before we start talking about going to the Cactus League and what your pitching staff look like?
1: Well, you know, Padre's Twitter has been really electric over the weekend because they've been talking about how, you know, for a long time, people bashing A.J. Preller, you know, for all the moves he's made. But now they're saying A.J. Preller, master class. He made this deal to get all these pitching, um, all these arms in the Soto deal, while, you know, these other guys are signing for 15, 18 million, you know, that are... You know, Luca Lugo and Waka are great examples of that. They're solid pitchers. But maybe maybe, yeah, maybe one of these guys like Brito or Vasquez is going to turn out.
0: Like I say, they scout. They've got all types of inside data, what they believe this guy can evolve into. You know, so Ruben Niebla, pitching coach, takes over control of those pitchers. Not not the not the guy that's going to be the third starter. Michael uh, King. But the yeah. guy the guys who were in the bullpen. But they all had ERAs over four. They all got a chance to pitch. The Yankees didn't want to keep them, so they're willing to throw them in a package. But maybe Niebla, with the data that the Padres people are going to give them, are going to refine them. And maybe they become starters four and five and six. Only time will tell.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to the season, but we have so much football going on, but there's a lot of great baseball to talk about.
0: Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our Tuesday bonus podcast. We'll spin back in here on Thursday. Want you to tell all your friends what we're doing on social media. Want you to subscribe so you'll get all the alerts for what we put up on our YouTube channel. Check my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. I write on it every day of the week. It's really different. And we want you to also register to become part of Hacksaw's Insiders Group with 2024 upon us. Got some really unique things we're trying to spring on people. We thank you for watching. We welcome you to the new year. We'll be back on Thursday. John, take a deep breath because we got more football to talk about. Yeah,
1: happy new year. Yeah, this is a great time of the year.
0: Happy new year to you. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines.
1: Join us again
0: for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. San Diego! For more content, go to leehacksawhamilton.com.